0: Printed for you on page five. We will be looking this morning at Genesis chapter five and Hebrews chapter eleven. This is God's word. When Enoch had lived sixty five years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah three hundred years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were three hundred and sixty five years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not for God took him. Hebrews chapter 11. By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Let's pray together. Our Father in Heaven, we thank You for Your Word. We recognize it to be true, and it is truth. It is the standard of, the reality of, and You promise to us that because it is Your truth, it is profitable, and its purpose is to complete us, to furnish us in our faith. And so this morning, we ask for such a blessing. Furnish us. In our faith, as your servants are listening, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We're continuing our series, Walking by Faith. Pastor Smith admitted to his motivation yesterday, or last week of giving me Enoch as he gave himself Abel. There are no hard feelings at this point. But I can imagine when you hear that name, what do you think? It's not one that is repeated or recorded often for you or myself in the Scriptures. How does this relate to you and to me, our, our life? My wife and I, over the past several weeks, we, we've actually mentioned this conversation a few times. We had a seminary professor back in Columbia. If I recall the story correctly, she was talking with him, and it had something to do with either the desire to want to be normal in a particular area or the fact that all I am is normal. Kind of a discouraging moment. But his response has not only stuck with her, it's shaped her. And it's shaped me. He looked at her and said, You've never met an ordinary Christian. You've never met an ordinary Christian. And that's true for you. If you were in Christ, there's no such thing as ordinary about you. And so when we look at Enoch, you have just as much extraordinary about you as he does about him. The issue is, do you understand who he trusted and who, as we will look at, he walked with? And so when we look at his life, what are we to learn? What are we to do? You heard last week there, there was a, a mention of an order. When we look in Hebrews chapter 11, you, you see these names listed. We looked at Abel, the justifying faith that Abel had because he trusted in the Lord's promise. The seed, which is Christ. He, the sacrifice that Christ would make on his behalf, it saved him. His sacrificial faith, you might say. But is this order, when we come to Enoch, are we to understand it as some chronological laying out of the letter? Some have said yes. Some have offered that there's more to it. Maybe even perhaps a topical order. They've looked at these first three names and, and have seen it as you know Abel, he is a, he's a picture of a sacrifice of faith. Enoch, he's a picture of a walk of faith. Noah, a work of faith. I don't know if that's true or not for the motivation of what and why they wrote it. We know it's not entirely chronological because Enoch is seven generations away from Adam and Abel. So there's, there's plenty more people who could have come up. But what we do know is if you are justified by faith alone in Christ, you will be walking with God. And that will result in the way in which you live your life. Works, you might say, practical Christian living. So when we look at Enoch this morning, there's something powerful to rest in. And I'll admit to you, there's something uncomfortable as well. Because when you look at Enoch's life, it's a picture of grace. You you see, when we think about the walk or the life of faith. We love to think about what it means to come to faith and then we quickly start talking about hospitality, evangelism, service, all these extra works. And they're good things. The problem is Hebrews 11 doesn't begin there. Hebrews 11 demonstrates someone who comes to know Christ and, well, we don't find out right away what all their works are. What we find out is No, one who is saved begins this journey, this pilgrimage, this walk of faith. And so that's what we want to look at this morning. Two simple points. Enoch's walk of faith and our walk of faith. And the hidden question, I'll tell you, what does it mean to have a God-pleasing faith? What does it mean to have a God-pleasing faith? Well, let's look at Enoch's walk. You can see most of it recorded for us in Genesis chapter 5. Let me read it one more time to kind of give us some context. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. That is the bulk of what you understand of Enoch's life and all of Scripture. There's little information as you've just Read. But little information does not mean little significance. There's not a lack of significance of what Moses is telling you here. In fact, when you look at it, he repeats one phrase twice in his description of Enoch. What's, how is Enoch described for us in Genesis 5? Enoch walked with God. Moses is trying to outline something for you and for me. You recognize Enoch cannot walk with God unless he is first reconciled with God. And I think we often miss that when we focus on this phrase, walk with God. But Enoch isn't any different than you or I. He is a son of Adam, which means he is born into this world with sin. And apart from a reconciliation before the Lord, he cannot be in the presence and company of God. I think to help us understand what is going on here we look to the prophet Amos. Amos uses some similar illustration and image that might help us. Amos says it this way. He's asking a question. Do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet? Now, how does that help us when you think about what it means to walk by faith? You recognize that's that's just a metaphor. God doesn't have a body. He's not walking anywhere. And so when we... Look at this phrase, walk with God. What is Amos saying? Well, Amos is a picture of judgment. You see that question that is being asked that's coming from the Lord. And he has just told his people, I am your God and you are my people. But then you keep reading and what you find out is, although he has declared himself God and they are his people, how are they living? They're living in open rebellion. They're living in defiance against what they know is right. We might say... They're walking with another. They're in relationship with someone else. So, when we look at Enoch, what are we to understand? There's been some work of reconciliation, and that work is on behalf of the Lord. That's why it says Enoch walked with God. The fact that it says with God tells you something. This is not an equal partnership. This is not Enoch having the right or the ability to call upon God and say come on over here. Let's go out together. The weather's nice. No, in fact, what you see with the with God is these are terms set out by God. To walk with me, you must be reconciled. And what it means to walk with me, I set that trajectory. I set those terms. It's a what's well, a work of submission. Enoch has to submit to who God is, if He is to walk with Him. If you're going to submit to God, you also have to conform to the pattern of what He says. It's not just who is God, it's also what does He say of Himself and what does He want you to do. And so it's submission and conformity to the Lord. And that's why it says Enoch walked with God, because what's implied for us? It's communion. It's a well, it's a steady progress. Nobody walks in place. He's describing his journey. He communed with God. He worshipped God. He grew in knowledge and understanding of God. God revealed more of himself to him. He talked with him. He obeyed him. It's progress. But I want to show you something. It's something I've never seen before. Let's read it one more time and make an observation of what, Enoch, what Moses tells us. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Did you catch it? Don't make light of what Moses just told you. How long did Enoch walk with God? Nearly 300 years. Imagine that relationship. Oh, the joy that he must have had. Learning what it means to trust him. Learning what it means to depend on him. Learning what it means to confess sin. Learning what it means to praise him. 300 plus years. We don't know that life, do we? We often think, I've been a Christian 10 years, 20, 30, even 60. And yet we've be- we haven't even begun to scratch the surface of what this dear saint experienced. Can you imagine the beauty of what it means to walk with God for 300 plus years? It's a point, it's a picture. That says it's possible. And not only is it possible. It's the point. That's the goal. Is to always forever walk with God. And that's what Enoch did. There's something unique about his walk. And I want to draw your attention. Especially if you're a parent in here. We don't know when Enoch came to faith. And I'm not going to tell you. It was this day or that day. What we see is it says. When Enoch had lived 65 years. He fathered Methuselah. After that description, Moses tells us, Enoch walked with God. Whether or not him fathering a son got his attention of what it meant to love God and to submit to God or not, that makes no difference. What you and I need to know, if you are a parent in here, there is an absolute need to walk with God before your children. When we were in college ministry, we would often focus on sharing the gospel with non-Christians. It was a a blessing. And at times when God in His mercy would save them, they they would recount the works of what God has done. And and sometimes you might use this phrase, it it was a train wreck conversion. Look at all the things that happened in my life. And yet God in grace and mercy saved me. And we praise God for that. But what would happen often are those who grew up in the church, they would often say, I don't have a powerful testimony. And I would tell them, as a parent, I want all my children to have your testimony. I want all of my children to say, I didn't know a day in which I didn't hear about Christ. I don't know a day in which I didn't know Him. I didn't love Him. That's what we're after. And parents, that means you walk with God in the presence of your family and before your children. This is the context of Enoch's walk. If, if, his, if we wanted to say his content was God himself being reconciled and loving and enjoying him, what was it like? What was going on around him? Well, he had a family that he was responsible for and what it meant to lead them and what it means to walk by faith. But that's not the only thing. We've mentioned it before. In the Old Testament, when they would name children, they named them with a purpose. There was a point to it. Often their name described something either that would happen or it described them. What was the son that Enoch has that we hear of? Well, his name is Methuselah. You probably only know him as the man who lived the longest 969 years. But have you ever considered what his name means? It's two words Metu, Shelach. What it means, there's two possible translations man of dart, or weapon, missile, javelin, kind of get the idea of a fight. That's one possible translation. Do you know what the other one is? When death comes, this will be sent. If you know anything about Methuselah's life, what happened at the end of his life? The flood, the great flood. Methuselah, being 969 years, outlived most of his children. One being Lamech, Lamech, whose son was Noah. Could you imagine if that's what Enoch understood from God? You're going to have a son. And at the end of his life, I'm going to judge the world. I'm going to wipe out the world. Imagine as a parent that kind of prophecy, that kind of revelation, this is what's coming. How would that change the way that you live, the way that you parent, the way that you think? Oh no, Methuselah is coughing. What does this mean? He feels hot. What does this mean? The end of my child's life could mean the end of the world. Now, we don't know if that's absolutely true or not, but you understand The context in which Enoch lived. Something of judgment was coming. And even if that's not why he named his son. Do you know where else Enoch shows up? In that short little letter that you've never really read. Because you skip it in your Bible. Jude. Right before Revelation. What do we find out from Jude? It was also about these that Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied saying. Behold. The Lord comes with ten thousands of His holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against Him. If you didn't get all of that, there's a word that continues to show up, ungodly, ungodly, ungodly. Where and what is it like for Enoch to live his life? We focus on this just immediate translation from one life to another. But how did he have to live? He lived with a lot of ungodliness. The end of the world in his eyes. The flood is coming. This is the world that he lives in. So lest we sit here this morning and think, Enoch doesn't know what it's like to live through 2020. Or 2021. 2021. Perhaps we should slow down and say, maybe he knew even better than we did. And so we can't say, Enoch, you have nothing to teach me. You don't know what it's like. He lived in horrifying times, times in which the corruption was everywhere. All of their thoughts, the Lord says in Genesis 6, were wicked and evil. That is how and where Enoch would walk with God. And yet he loved him. For 300 plus years. Now, how does this have a bearing on our walk? If that's Enoch's walk, what about us? We see a picture of it in Hebrews chapter 11, don't we? Hebrews 11 uses some different language. If you were looking at Genesis and seeing how does Genesis 5, other than Enoch and Hebrews 11, how does that overlap? Hebrews 11, we've said it already, it's a chapter that's known for faith, the hall or heroes of faith. But when you read Genesis 5, what word don't you see? Faith. So how from Genesis 5 where there's the absence of faith do we get Hebrews 11 where the word faith shows up? It's not very difficult. Often in the New Testament it's spoken in Greek. And at times different epistles and writers would use what we call the Septuagint. It is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And when... They would translate the Old Testament into Greek. They, they did not feel comfortable and confident to uh, ascribe human terms to God. So walking with God would not be on their approved list, as it were. And so instead of walking with God, what do you get? Pleased. A faith that is pleasing. That, that's the connection. What's the connection from walk to pleasing? It's relationship. You know that, don't you? You probably did that a lot in 2020 with your family. You went on walks. Meredith and I used to love walks. And then our children got a little older, and I don't know what we did on the walks. We used to have good conversations, and now it became, no, stop doing that. Sit down and buckle up. But, but, but what's the picture of walks? You, you enjoy time. You love them. You get to know them. And that's what's going on here. It's this relationship. And when we talk about faith, that's exactly what we're saying. That Faith is not a uh, well. It's not a definition of facts and doctrines. That's what Pastor Smith said a few weeks back, didn't he? When we talk about living and walking by faith, we're we're not so concerned with how many theological terms do you know, or how well can you articulate them. Your life defines your faith. Your words might not be adequate, but your life certainly is. So how you live demonstrates what you believe. That's all we're talking about here. So how do you have a God-pleasing faith? Hebrews 11 is saying it begins with the object. It begins with the object of faith. And, and we know about that, don't we? We live in a world that says, have some faith. Where I don't have enough faith, have more faith. But the point is, what is your faith in? What's the object? What's the substance? And so when the world tells you, you need to believe in yourself, do you see the problem? The object is You. You have now put yourself at the center in controlling a factor in governing body of your life. What can I do for myself? That's not faith in God. That's faith in Danny. And it has everything to do with the object. Is your object strong enough to uphold you, to sustain you, to carry you, to pick you up? That's the issue of Hebrews 11. He's the writer's not saying have faith in you. He's saying put your faith in the founder, the finisher, the Lord Jesus Christ, for he alone saves. And in fact, if you were to look at Hebrews 11 and, and specifically verse 6, if you wanted a strict translation of what is actually being said, it actually reads it is necessary for anyone who comes to God to believe that he is. When you want to understand faith, that's the strict definition of it, that if you come to him, you must believe that he is. You might even say that's the New Testament translation of what you read in the Old Testament with Moses. When Moses says, who are you? What am I to tell the people? What, is, what do we learn? I am who I am. But if you looked it up in the Greek, what it says is, tell them I am the one who exists. Do you see the connection of what they're saying? The object of your faith, if you come to God, you must believe that He exists. And therefore, to have a God-pleasing faith, He has to be your firm foundation. He has to be the object, the content of your faith. It's why idolatry far exceeds materials. Idolatry can be ideas. Idolatry can be men. Idolatry can be theologies. And if you're in here this morning and you're saying, why do these people keep talking about the Bible all the time? Why do they sing these songs that are rooted in the Bible? Why do they have this confession of faith? Then that's exactly what we want you to get. Because what we're saying is your life needs to be entirely oriented around God. And if anyone or anything tells you to orient your life differently, it's called idolatry. You have taken your faith off of God and you have put it on something or someone else. And so what the author to Hebrews is saying is you must have the foundation and that is Christ. And it needs to be all of Christ. Everything centers on who he is and what he does. And so we read Hebrews 11, especially verse 6, and we want to get to that fun portion. Reward. Tell me about that. I like that idea. What can I get? How am I going to gain an advantage before you get there? Let me help you understand something about walking by faith. It is its own destination. That is the goal, to walk by faith. Yet the paradox is it actually leads you somewhere else. But the goal is to walk by faith. That is the destination. That is where we want to go. You don't need a greater reward than that. That is the best reward. And so, instead of focusing on what can I get from God, what will He give me, what can I pray and ask for a specific blessing upon, we want to walk by faith, because that in and of itself is the goal. He is the great treasure, the great reward. There's a man by the name of A.W. Tozer, maybe you've heard of him, he has a wonderful book. If, if this is an issue for you struggling, you want to know God, he has a book called The Pursuit of God. I would highly recommend it to you. But here's something that he says in there. The whole transaction of religious conversion has been made mechanical and spiritless. He continues by saying, the man is saved, but he is not hungry nor thirsty after God. That's what we're talking about here. How can you have a justifying faith with Abel and then not hunger and thirst for God? How can you not want to be more in time with him? How could you not want to read, to pray, to be with his people? How could you not thirst more for God? To have found God and yet to pursue him is the great paradox. And that is the glory of God. That he can entirely satisfy you, and yet you cannot finish your satisfaction with him. He can meet all of your needs, and yet you still want more. And so we turn to God, not to ask for a better life. He is our life. We, we turn to God, and not for some greater reward. He is the greatest treasure. He is the greatest possession. And that's what Enoch knew. That's what he lived. And that's what you and I want to be about. How do I walk by faith? How do I love God? It's knowing Him. It's the end goal. And so what we learn in Genesis with Enoch, we we get a greater revelation, a greater fulfillment, you might say, in Christ Jesus. We seek God. But what we see is there is a relationship to have with him now, and there's one forever, beyond. There's a future blessing, benefit. That's why Genesis and Hebrews tells you he did not die. If you read the genealogies in Genesis, uh, Genesis 5, you'll see, and he died, and he died. But you do not get that with Enoch. It says God took him. And, and don't listen to those crummy commentators who want to tell you that's just different language for he died. That's not what that means. It means he did not die. If he did, they would have told you. There would be no reason to break that pattern. Enoch never died. What is that picturing? It means there's life to come. There's life beyond the grave. Could you imagine Enoch's life when we talk about walking by faith? There there was this moment in his life. He blinked his eye and faith was sight. He was translated from one point to another, from earth to heaven in just a blink of an eye and that's what Paul says will happen to you and to me when we put our faith in Christ at the return you too will have that same sight just as Enoch had and so the writer to hebrews says seek him seek him he does not mean some scientific way he doesn't mean come up with a hypothesis test your theory gather some information to form a conclusion on your research. What he is saying is, God is the evidence. Come to him. Seek him. There is no greater picture. There was a story I read. Actually, I I wanted to verify its truth before I told you, so it wasn't just one of those pastoral illustrations. You guys are always like, is that really true? This is true. You can look it up. There was a Chinese pastor. He... uh, well, he was in a Chinese labor camp for his faith. And the point of the guard was they were determined. They were going to make him apostatize. They were going to make him lose his faith, go against his walk with God. And so what they decided is they would give him the worst job in the labor, in the camp. His job, in the nicest way possible, was to clean the bathrooms of the prison, of the camp itself. It was, it was horrifying, you could imagine. It's not just like you're building It's outside. There's no aid to what it looks like to have running water and things like that. His job was to clean up that mess over and over and over again. It was so horrible, not just in its work, but even in its smell. What happened is this lowly, disgusting job began to create separation from him and the guard. They didn't want to be anywhere close to him. He smelled too bad. It was Horrifying, and so they would leave him alone and it was at that place he was allowed to talk and sing aloud to God this is what he sang I come to the garden home while well, the dew is still on the roses and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own and the joy we share as we tarry there none other has ever known do you Do you see the point? What we're talking about walking with God, the presence of God transforms any circumstance. It becomes the greatest place you could ever imagine. Your circumstances don't define what it means to have a good or strong faith. They reveal it. What we get is treasure, and it's God Himself. In this world, you may have more or less treasure, You may have a job that provides much or a family that provides much. You might be one who loses much. But what you understand with a God-pleasing faith is whether you gain or you lose, in God, all of it is in one. So you've lost nothing. You've gained nothing. You have the greatest this life has to offer. It is Christ Jesus Himself and that's why the author to Hebrews finishes the sentence in verse 6. He says, God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who what? Seek Him. And what do you find after Him? A period. It's an important period. He does not say, seek Him and. You see, that and diminishes the revelation of God. And faith in God. That and, you might say, is our great woe. But if you and I would omit it, if we would live a life in which all we do is seek Him, we'll have God and everything our hearts are secretly longing for. What our hearts truly want, the longer you walk by faith, He will change those desires. And what you secretly want, what you so need, you will have. And you will have it in Him. So where are you this morning? What does it mean to walk by faith? For some of you it might mean coming to the Lord and asking for forgiveness. That you and God aren't on agreement. He has told you to submit to Him and follow Him and you have said no. You are not justified by faith alone in which we are talking about. Maybe you need to seek God and what you need is forgiveness. But if you are in Christ, what does it mean this morning to seek Him? It means to trust Him. It means to follow Him. It means to let His rule and reign penetrate your life. It means to have a heart that is open to God and what He wants and what He says. Because the reward is the same. Enoch shows you there is this life, but there's a greater life to come. The reward is eternal life. Eternal life is now. And it extends then. It extends over. The reward is Christ himself. Enoch put his faith in the promise of God. That there would be life. And do you know why you have life? Because God did not spare the life of his own son. At the death of his son you were granted life. The death that you experience is death to self, saying, I'm not my own. I am His. I will trust you. I will follow you. And the assurance that you can have this morning is not that if you seek God, you will find Him. The assurance that you have is if you're seeking God, it means He's already seeking you. That provides the assurance that you will find Him because He will make Himself known. And so may we be a people who have a God-pleasing faith that's not defined by the world, not defined by our circumstances, not defined by our desires, but is entirely defined by Him in which we seek. That is Christ Himself. Because it is a faith that doesn't just save and leave. What you are to understand in Hebrews 11 is it is a faith that saves. It is a faith that secures. It is a faith that sanctifies. It is a faith that will bring you all the way To glory. And therefore, it's not so much don't let go. God won't let go of you. But seek after him. And when you find him, all the more seek him again. Let me pray to that end. Oh, God, our God, how we want to be a people who earnestly seek you who are those who have a faith that is pleasing as we are waiting for the blessed hope and glorious appearing where our faith would be made sight. That is Christ. And to recognize for many this morning, we we may have only tasted just a slight bit of your goodness. And maybe it has only satisfied us some. And so we pray, make us thirsty for more. Help us to be painfully conscious of our need for continuing and further grace. Help us to want to want you, that we would want to thirst, to thirst more of you. You have in grace redeemed those whose faith is in Christ, and so we pray continue such work. Increase our capacity to know you, that we too might Walk long with you, growing in knowledge and character and Christ-likeness. And yet we pray also for those who might hear and not know you. That they too would hear the voice of the triune God calling. And that they would find their greatest treasure in you by letting go of this life in order to have eternal life. And all this we pray in Jesus' name.